Good morning. Uh, today is December the 20th, 2015, and uh, welcome to this first installment of the Blue Collar Economist. I'm Bob McEwen, the Blue Collar Economist, and uh, what I kind of wanted to talk about this morning would, would uh, relate to an older article I had put on the page, oh, I think it was a year ago, about October of 2014, and it was called The Error of Pricing Goods and Gold. And what was trying to be said in that article had everything to do and relate to uh, the error of taking a commodity price and applying it to goods today. And what I'd like to do is go through the article with you step by step if I will. I'm going to read through it and then uh, try to clarify as we go. And uh, Since I put the article out, I've become sort of a, an anti-hard money advocate in some circles, which I am not. <laughs> so what I want to do is clarify all that and uh, go through the article and uh, let's see where we get from there. Okay. I'm going to begin now. We all heard experts, pundits, and talk show hosts pontificating about gold and silver. We've heard examples of their so-called intrinsic value and how gold and silver retain their value over time. Aside from any intrinsic value, this is accurate, except when these people attempt to make price comparisons of goods in gold or silver terms. We're again going to rely on Austrian economic analysis and determine something new about their claims. Hopefully, this analysis won't lead to me becoming a sort of pariah in hard money circles. In a previous article titled The Batmobile Value and Prices, we discovered the difference between value and prices, whereas value is subjective to the individual and prices are objective. For the sake of this article, I won't go into lengthy detail about that subject. Suffice it to say that as Carl Menger and the marginalists have demonstrated, consumer subjectivity is the basis for all economic activity. People who interact in an exchange economy do so to be left better off. It's not because of some in instinctual drive to exchange or animal spirits, as John Maynard Keynes described it. In reality, it's because consumers make rational decisions on how to employ their scarce means to achieve their desired ends. Each individual has his or her own personal valuation scale of desired ends and ranks them accordingly in their mind. These personal subjective valuations manifest themselves through the process known as price discovery into the objective prices of goods. When buyers and sellers enter into an exchange, prices for goods are bid up or down according to the subjective valuations of consumers. Buyers attempt to be left better off by expending as little money as possible. Uh, reflecting in a downward pressure on prices. On the other side of the exchange, sellers are attempting to be left better off by receiving the highest prices possible. The price is arrived at when these goods meet the market clearing price. That is, when a specific amount of money is agreed upon to clear an inventory of a given good. This is just a short description of how an unhampered exchange economy functions. And we all know that we don't live in an unhampered exchange economy. On the contrary, it's a very rigged economy. Every market's rigged. 
and as some of the pundits and the experts have talked about on numerous podcasts, that uh, there isn't a market out there. They're all rigged. Everything is rigged, and this is nothing new. Uh, I'm going to digress a bit and explain that, uh, especially the United States, uh, markets have been rigged since the inception of the country. As a matter of fact, we can go back to uh, the revolution. Uh, at the uh, closing of the Constitution, when this country was established, um, prior to that, during the war, the soldiers were paid in script, which was a type of a, of a like a bond. And uh, not unlike our current fiat money or the greenbacks during the Lincoln administration, uh, there was a demand, or a uh, the government demanded that this so-called script be used as money in exchanges. And it reluctantly was to the regret of the uh, retailers out there at that time. It wasn't worth anything. It wasn't worth a continental. <laughs> so at the end of the uh, of the war, the birth of the nation, the Hamiltonians came up with a plan and that plan involved having to establish a central bank, the first bank of the United States. And a part of financing the Bank of the United States, uh, the wealthy elite at the time uh, would travel up and down the coastline of the country in ships and search out these veterans of the war and buy their script off of them at pennies on the dollar. I mean, at subpar prices. And at the time, they weren't worth anything to most people, so the soldiers thought they were getting something for nothing, so they sold them. Well, the Hamiltonians, after this exchange, had, and they had happened and they, I guess they assumed they had enough of these things and they had amassed thousands of these scripts by the way, thousands and thousands, millions of dollars worth. Uh, these scripts were then exchanged with the U.S. Treasury to the central bank at the time at par, at one to one. So through entourage these uh, elites of their day again fleeced the common man. All right, I digressed a bit from the article but I'll go back to the article. Now all of this talk of subjectivity and prices must be understood in the monetary terms of ease exchange. When consumers talk of prices, uh, they're relating those prices in terms of the currency that's being exchanged. Moreover, like a language, prices translate in a certain amount of either labor or capital that must be expended in order to meet the required price. As an example, in the U.S., consumers understand prices in dollar terms. A wage earner subconsciously understands the amount of labor that must be performed in order to afford the price of goods and services. They understand the amount of their scarce time they must give up in order to perform the labor required to receive the earned money in dollar terms to meet that price. A retailer understands how much mo money and profits that must be met. A lawyer may understand the amount of legal services that would have to be provided and so on and so forth. Another point, wage earners also understand the cost of living at any given time this, uh, in the same currency terms. A U.S. wage earner understands how many dollars per hour or week, month, or year that must be earned in order to meet their subjective goals. Prices are set in dollar terms and consumers understand the cost of living and any further expenditures in those terms. When someone earns $10 an hour, he rationally wouldn't expect to afford a $3,000 a month in rent on a home. To summarize, 
Prices to consumers translate into a cost and benefit. Something must be given up in order to meet the agreed-upon price and still be left better off. Now, the U.S. economy has been rolling along in fiat dollar terms ever since President Franklin Roosevelt decoupled gold from the dollar in the early 30s. And the last vestiges of silver coinage ended after 1964. The Bretton Woods Agreement of the 1940s was only, uh, only established a gold exchange standard to settle accounts between sovereign nations. Over time, people have been making subjective valuations of goods and services in fiat dollar terms. Today, consumers do not compare the dollar price of a gallon of gas or a loaf of bread and ounces of silver. As previously demonstrated, they simply don't calculate the cost of living in those terms anymore. When we hear people talk of current dollar prices in either gold or silver terms, they are simply demonstrating the loss of purchasing power the dollar has undergone over a certain length of time in relation to that commodity. No one by any means can say with any certainty the exact price of a good in either gold or silver terms. When someone says that a 1964 silver dime would buy three dollars worth of gas today, they are making interpersonal comparisons of subjective utility. They're assuming the subjective valuations of millions of people over decades of time. The only way that 1964 dime would purchase three dollars worth of gas today would be if the owner of the dime sold it to a coin dealer. He would then receive what would be the commodity price for that specific weight of silver in fiat dollar terms. No goods have intrinsic value, only subjective value. These kinds of price assumptions are only possible by ceritus paribus, meaning all things being held constant or equal. It's a theoretical construct that economist Alfred Marshall used to isolate an, e an economic anomaly. It was never intended to be a reflection of reality. Gold and silver have been evaluated in terms of their respective commodity prices, not money prices, since the U.S. went on a pure fiat standard. Prices in this inflationary fiat economy have been discovered in paper dollar terms ever since the government killed the gold dollar. That is the reality. Let me conclude by saying this. Not to be misunderstood, this article was to demonstrate that people cannot assume the price of current goods and services by using the commodity prices of gold or silver. For that matter, we could easily assume prices in terms of wheat or corn or pork bellies. Gold and silver have lost their place in the minds of consumers as money long ago. As a mental experiment, hard money advocates are demonstrating the loss of purchasing power the fiat currency has had over time by comparing it to what it once was, real money. Of course, the rational choice would be to return to a hard money standard. That is the assertion these advocates of gold and silver money are making. By holding all things uh, constant, that is, excluding any subjective valuations of people in the economy over decades and decades, that 1964 dime would buy you a loaf of bread or $3 worth of gas. The fact of the matter is, we really don't know what the price of gas, bread, or anything else would be today had the dollar been on a hard money standard all along. We can't assume the pretense of knowledge that's required to make any accurate price predictions. 
Personally, I would assume prices would actually be much lower as purchasing power would be much higher. In closing, let us agree that the fiat dollar isn't worth the continental and hard money is as good as gold. Let consumers determine what type of money they want to exchange in, not governments or elitist central bankers.